Blood of the Oak from Elliot Pattison is the fourth book in the Bone Rattler mystery series, which examines colonial America leading up to the Revolutionary War. In a world where hundreds of new books are released every day, how can readers find yours? I'm Stephen Campbell. I'm the CEO of Camven Media. What we do is provide digital assets and strategies to help authors find and keep new readers and fans. That's the way I pay the bills. But in this show, you and I indulge our shared love of mysteries and crime novels by spending time with the people who write them. Are you ready? Let's get this show rolling. Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best novels directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with Elliot Pattison, the award-winning author of the Bone Rattler Historical Mystery Series, the fourth of which... Blood of the Oak, was released today. Elliot, welcome. Glad to be with you, Steve. Let's talk for a bit, if you don't mind, about uh, the setting for this series. It, it, the first book in the series, The Bone Rattler, was set around the uh, 1750s, and then the series works its way forward. So give us a little sense of what was going on in the world during the time of the series. Yeah, I very deliberately set out to write a series that sort of examines the period that leads to the creation of the United States. And so um, I, my main character is a Highland Scot who has been wrongly convicted of, of crimes and forced to, as an indentured service uh, servant to the United States. Um, and he's thrust into the frontier right in the middle of the French and Indian War. Uh, and so we follow him solving you know, mysteries, but as, you know, he, he is, he is um, sort of an exile, outcast, you know, sort of displaced person in a sense. Uh, and he deals, he, he forms very close alliances with African Americans and Woodland Indians, Native, Native Americans, uh, who are denied justice through formal um, institutions, and so he's he's sort of on the tide of all these historic events, trying to solve uh, very severe problems in the in you know facing uh, these other sort of uh, exiles and outcasts. And how have you laid the series out in in your own mind? I'm not sure how long it's going to go. Obviously, we're we're not in this book. We're not to the uh, American Revolution yet, but uh, how? What's the time frame sort of between books? Are you going every few years, or is is it less specific than that? Well, we skipped the first three books were were heavily anchored in the French and Indian War, which okay. I think is a, a really important period uh, where I would I would strongly suggest, and I say so in my books. I write notes at the end of each book that the seeds of revolution were really planted in the French and Indian War. Uh, fast forward in this book to 1765. It's the year of the infamous stamp tax. Uh, this is when these seeds are germinating, and now we will take it more slowly, uh, you know, moving towards the revolution. And how do you select the storyline for each point in history that you're that you're describing? Well, I always, you know, as a historical novelist, I'm very aware of the of the sort of the, the obligation, the bond with the readers that requires the novelist to be authentic, you know, to to weave this actual historic fact into the books. So I try to focus on one or two, you know, actual factual incidents, and then and then build my characters and plot lines around them. So, for example, in this one, um, there was, you know, most people don't realize the first armed rebellion, the the first um, uh, rebellion uh, against the British army. Thank you. 
happened in 1765 in Pennsylvania, not in Boston, and later in the 1770s. Um, and that was a that was a rebellion in um, uh, near Mercersburg, Pennsylvania. And so, you know, we're we're colonists who are very upset with the British government for allowing guns to go to the Native Americans. Uh, took you know armed action against the British Army, and that's part of the that's part of the story. And then the committees of correspondence for the stamp tax uh, were sort of born out of the stamp tax. Uh, resistance. And, you know, I overlay that as well. So there's a lot of intrigue about these secret committees of correspondence, Mm -hmm. this rebellion in Pennsylvania, and then ultimately it culminates in Virginia where where my characters are thrown into a uh, as slaves onto a tobacco plantation, which is being used to punish the, those helping the committees of correspondence. I have to say that as as authors, we're 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 taught basically to to put our characters in really difficult situations. I I think you kind of overdo it with with Duncan. He, he really has it bad in each of the books. <laughs> You know, he's the kind of guy. He's sort of like a, you know, like a marine. He goes towards the, you know, the sound of the gunfire. Right? I mean, he's very dedicated to his principles, and he grew up in a family that was torn apart and pretty much destroyed by brutality in the Highlands. And so he, he sort of has a, a, you know, a real hot point. You know, a, a, a you know, he has a, you know, a glow threshold for acting against the government, which he really reviles the British government. And there are some recurring characters in the books as well. There's a Native American character. I may be pronouncing his name incorrectly. Is it Kanawago? Yeah, Kanawago. Kanawago. Okay. Tell us a little bit about him, if you yeah. would. Well, I I think that you know one of the places, uh, one of the many places where our history books have sort of let us down is, you know, explaining the role of the Native Americans in the in this colonial period. And we you know we everybody's familiar with the stereotypical savages, uh, you know, taking scalps and being these you know terrible monsters coming out of the wilderness. But in fact, and I you know there's plenty of factual support for this. They were yes, there was a savage side, but they were also very spiritual, very philosophical, uh, you know, intellectual beings and and then we overlay that and he he's the epitome of this and of that type and uh and then we overlay that with the tragedy uh the, you know sort of the tragic context of the of people like Conawego recognizing that their people and their way of life is rapidly becoming extinct so it it's sort of this you know sort of a, a you know he tries to be positive he's a very intellectual guy but he recognizes that his people are almost all dead and that his tribe mm-hmm. is vanishing and and the same is true uh in a in a little bit slower time frame for the great Iroquois confederation and I have a lot of Iroquois uh as characters in my books and duncan we we haven't mentioned him by name duncan mccallum is, is the mccallum is the protagonist in the series right. uh he he's a scot as as you mentioned why a scot rather than something else a, a brit or well well, first, you know, several reasons. First, you know, maybe maybe the simplest reason is that I'm a Scot, <laughs> okay. uh, and my and my and my family came over from the Highlands in the 17th century. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's some parallels there. But also, I wanted to 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 you know highlight these sort of um, you know displaced, dispossessed orphans who were who were forced to America, uh, and he and the Highland Scots. Uh, in this period of time, uh, there is a huge number of Highland Scots that have been transported to America 
for after having been wrongly accused or for you know other unfair reasons. Uh, and they are Duncan in this series is sort of moving off the you know the shock of all of that to a very intense period of self discovery. And I actually I actually believe and I'm very deliberate in this in my books that that you know our revolution was born out of the journeys of self discovery by people like Duncan multiplied by tens of thousands. Okay, there's a lot of people in this period, especially 1750s, 1760s, who were beginning to realize that they weren't really Europeans anymore, that there's there was somebody else, you know, which eventually became, you know, Americans. And an, another feature of your books, and, and I guess of, of Duncan and Kalawago, or Kanawago, is Kanawago, is this sense of place within nature. Almost, and it's yeah. it's something that's that's an important part of your books, and and you use it to to tell the story of America, essentially. This book, this book especially, Blood of the Oak, uh, that's really the derivation of the title. Uh, and I do believe I mentioned this, this, these these journeys of self discovery. I think that a lot of that self discovery had to do with their interface with nature, their intense relationship with nature that was sort of thrust on them as Europeans, uh, but was instinctive, of course, for the Native Americans. And I believe that this that there was an element of independence and free thinking, you know, autonomy that was bred in people that lived close to nature, and it was something that was sort of alien to the to the European experience, at least by, you know, by the 18th century. Is it fun as an author of historical fiction to insert historical figures that we are that we would all know into the books? And it, if, if so, how do you do it and do it accurately? Because this is the point where people could really pick a story apart. Yeah, well, you know, again, I think there's, a, I mentioned there's a big obligation to be authentic. Uh, and so it's, it is, look, it is a lot of fun because I was, and, and, and this is part of a deliberate process here where I like to introduce, you know, people that are recognizable, uh, out of the history books that sort of, you know, as another way to grab the readers, uh, and the, and the, and more specifically here, the committees of correspondence you know, were, 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 uh, you know, featured very prominently, you know, John Adams, Samuel Adams, Ben, Fra- Benjamin Franklin, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Thomas Paine, a lot of, uh, you know, Patrick Henry, a lot of people who became much more famous later on. Um, in fact, I started, I started out, uh, and I've, I've featured Ben Franklin, Benjamin Franklin, sort of on the periphery of, of more than one of my books. Mm-hmm. Um, and started out intending that he be, he, he play a direct role in this. And then I discovered that he, in this specific period, he was in London. And so I wound <laughs> up sort of, uh, using him more indirectly. And ultimately, his wife appears, which was kind of fun, and, and there's even an appearance at the very end in a very small way by George Washington. Yes, and, and obviously he'll play a bigger part as, as the series moves on, and that was, that was really kind of fun when, when George made that yeah. small appearance in there, because you, we can see where this is going if you, if you have any sense of history at all. Uh, what's, what's the time frame for how many, how many more books until we, get, until we reach the American Revolution? Well, I mean, I you know, no, I got one more under contract, and mm-hmm. so one for sure. But I would expect we'll continue this. Um, I, you know, I do, I do. I have two series. I do one one book a year. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the next one on this will be the year after next, and and uh, you know, we may, you know, it'll, it'll. I would expect that we have a, you know at least another half dozen books before we get to the revolution. And your two series, uh, in a certain 
Well, I, it, they're completely dissimilar. I mean, this is this is historical fiction. The other isn't, and uh, you know, features uh, you know a world far away, not far away in terms of time, but far away from us in the United States. So, talk for a minute about your other series, if you don't mind. Sure, that's the Inspector Sean series mm-hmm. set in Tibet, and and uh, and there are uh, the first impression would be from a lot of observers that oh my God, it's vastly different, but. Uh, in point of fact, it really, there are a lot of similarities, and by using this ancient Tibetan culture and figuring, you know, uh, very traditional Tibetans rooted in that culture, it becomes that series shares a lot of attributes of the historical novels. Okay, there's a lot of intense culture and setting, and and you know, intense color in the in the settings and venues that I use, uh, but also. Um, and more importantly, it has these, the same theme of displaced people. My inspector there is a, you know, was a prominent inspector in Beijing until he was disgraced because he investigated the wrong politician and, and you know, for corruption. And instead of instead of the official being uh, punished, he was he was punished and sent to the to the Tibetan Gulag, and has sort of been reincarnated really after five years in prison, uh, living with Tibetan prisoners who mostly were monks and lamas. Uh, he stays in Tibet and helps uh, mostly Tibetans who, who are not able to find justice in the Chinese system. So a lot of analogies, really, to the Duncan McCallum series. And for people listening, they may think to themselves that, well, you're going to be working on the next uh, Inspector Sean series. Uh, th- that'll be the next project you're working on. But with the nature of publishing, you're probably close to done with that, and you're, you're plotting <laughs> out the next uh, Duncan McCallum book. That's right. <laughs> you know, you, you've got it. <laughs> so, you know, I live in both worlds simultaneously, which I have a lot of fun with. I, mean, mm-hmm. I, I love these characters, and I'm very dedicated to my subject matters and have very dedicated readers. Well, Elliot, what's the best? Go ahead. You know, well, I just going to say the Sean series especially is, is global. We have that uh, translated in 20 languages. Oh, wow. All right. Well, what's the best way for listeners to keep up with you and, and these two series? Well, um, you know, I have a very uh, you know, actively used website, a lot of information on the website about both series, and we have a lot of, you know, great reviews that we're posting on there, and, and uh, you know, events and other things are, are noted there. So, uh is the best direct way, uh, and then we, you know, we are active uh, in social media. Uh, and then, you know, and the books, of course, are always available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and hopefully a lot of independent bookstores. Absolutely. So thank you so very much for being here, Elliot. It was a pleasure chatting with you again. Yeah. Thanks, Stephen, very much. Appreciate it. All righty. Bye. All right. Take care.